John chapter 5, beginning with verse number 1 and ending at verse number 7. Say amen if you have it. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. Bethesda means house of mercy or house of grace. In these lay a great multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. They were waiting for the moving of the waters. Now, I'm going to tell you something about verse 4. Depending on what version you have, verse 4 may or may not be there. Okay, in the New American Standard Bible, verse 4 is there, and I'll explain that in just a moment. Verse 4 says, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from what's Ever disease with which he was afflicted. How many of you did not have that in your Bible? Okay, and I'll explain that in just a moment. And a certain man was there who had been 38 years in his sickness. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? Now watch the man's reply. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. I want to talk to you this morning on deliverance in spite of missed opportunities. <laughs> Deliverance in spite of missed opportunities. I'm not so naive as to stand before you thinking that I'm talking to a people and a group of people that have not missed opportunities in your life. As a matter of fact, sometimes those missed opportunities have a tendency to trigger regret. And if you catch us at the right moment, we will find ourselves daydreaming, trying to finish the story of a missed opportunity. I'm wondering if there's anybody that ever caught themselves daydreaming, playing out a what if. What if I took that job? What if I did, some of you play those numbers. What, what if I did go back to school? What if I chose this major? What if I did marry her? What if I did marry him? And sometimes you, can, you and I can become victims of the uncomfortability of the unknown regarding missed opportunities. Let me tell you what an oppor opportunity is definitionally. An opportunity definitionally is a sequence of circumstances that create possibility to go forward or to act. A sequence of circumstances. That means circumstances are all aligned. It means everything is where it needs to be for you to go forward or for you to acquire something or for you to achieve something, for you to overcome something. Opportunity is based on possibility. It is not based on actuality, it's based on possibility, which means there are situations that align just perfectly when time comes together with space and time comes together with action, and when that alignment and sequence of things take place, we are now at the crossroads of what do we do when everything is where it's supposed to be to seize an opportunity and to make a decision and move on that decision. Some of us are stuck at the door of opportunity, meaning the opportunity and sequence of things always align, but we begin to become paralyzed 
because we're afraid of what's beyond seizing that opportunity. There are some opportunities that are once in a lifetime. That means that those sequence of things, that set of circumstances that align only happen once in a lifetime. Physically, scientifically, there are certain scientific phenomena that only happen every so years. Ever, every so many years. Haley's Comet is one of them. And you have to be where the circumstances are aligned to catch Haley's Comet. If it comes every 50 years and you are 60 years old, then it slims your chance of ever having that opportunity again. Are you seeing this? Don't get it twisted, people. Opportunities are not always repetitive. There are some opportunities that only come once. They don't come again. There are some circumstances that are in place perfectly one time in your life. And thus it's important that we know what those circumstances are so that we don't get to that place where we have a chance to move or have a chance to achieve or have a chance to acquire and because of somebody else's doubt we forfeit an opportunity that only came one time. Some opportunities are seasonal. Everybody say seasonal opportunities. That means they come repetitively. I said to the morning group, uh, uh, you know, some of you uh, choose every winter to try to develop a summer body. And as long as winter comes, every winter you say, I'm going to get it together. I'm going to the gym. I'm going to work out. I'm going to do this. Yeah, no pain, no gain. I'm going to change how I eat. I'm going to go on this diet and that diet, and I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And sometimes when you don't seize it, you cannot have a summer body starting in the summer. Y'all not with me. Y'all not with me. Y'all not with me. Unless there's something you take that's going to mess up your body in some other kind of way. And so these opportunities come seasonally. And opportunity, tax season, is a seasonal opportunity. That's why in a couple of months, some of y'all are going to be glorifying God standing on your feet because you have a new testimony. In the Greek, it's called taxes returnus. And, 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 and that opportunity comes once a year. And if you look in this text, we're not going to go through all the details first, but I want you to look at verse number seven, uh, verse number three, actually of this text. Verse number three, verse, verse number three says, in these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. Waiting for what? Waiting for opportunity. That's exactly what the moving of the water represented. It represented circumstances being so aligned that they had an opportunity, that the circumstances presented an opportunity. And as soon as those set of circumstances were aligned right, even though verse 4 is not in there because some theologians and Bible scholars believe it wasn't in the earlier manuscripts, so we're not going to fight about that. We're going to look at the context clues and know in verse number 3 and in verse number 5, 6, and 7, there was something that happened at that pool that everybody was around the pool for. And what was it that happened? It wasn't simply the moving of the water. It was opportunity. It was opportunity that happened. And the Bible said it came every so many seasons, every season. There were seasons of opportunity, seasons where the circumstances got just right. Here's the problem. Here's the challenge. When the opportunity is limited, and those with the desire is plentiful. 
it reduces the chance of acquiring opportunity. Okay, tell me, okay. If there's a job opening for one job and there are 50 applicants, it reduces your chance of seizing the opportunity. Does everybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? If you're applying for a job and, and you find out it's not several jobs in the same area, it's one job. As a matter of fact, we become so conniving at those times that we won't even share that job posting until we've applied for it. If, you, if, there's, if they're going to accept one applicant, yeah, you're not going to talk, talk about, oh, I got a friend. No, you're going to apply for it first, and then you might just say, you know what, there's this job opening. I applied already. What that does, watch this, that creates an atmosphere of competition. Okay? It naturally fosters an atmosphere where there's nobody who does not need the opportunity to help those that need it. If 10 people were jobless and applying for the same job, it creates a competitiveness that says, we friends, but I'm not applying for this job so that you can get it. I'm applying for this job at the end of the day because I need the job. Here in this text, there was this pool and sick people were around the pool and lame people were around the pool and withered people were around the pool and people with leprosy and people with infirmity and I want you to see the scene as Jesus walks into this place into this pool during a feast day and everybody's laid out and nobody can literally help anybody else because everybody that's there is there for help let me tell you something this is a principle you can take in your life if you want to step up at some point you got to stop hanging with people who are trying to get the same thing you are getting because in that environment it becomes so competitive that even those that help can be second guessed you will not step up hanging with people that are broke just like you our economy is designed for different class communities so that differing class communities can help other differing class communities. The welfare system goes like this. Those with money help those that don't have it. You waste your time talking about somebody that ain't got a dime about this uh, this new business that they've been trying and, 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 and this scheme and this and that and the other. You know what you're going to do? You're going to waste your time with the illusion of opportunity. Because opportunity only comes in the presence of those, number one, who need it. So if you don't need it, you're now in a better position to help somebody that needs it. If I'm not after a job, then you telling me about a job where they're only hiring one person is not going to hurt me because I don't need what you need. Thus, I'm in a position to help you get what you need. This man was at a pool. Jesus comes to him and he says, don't you want to be made better? He says, I have no man to put me in the pool. Why? Because everybody around the pool was just as bad off as he was and there was nobody around the pool that didn't need what he needed. So it was an environment of competitiveness. It was an environment of opposition. Competition does not last too long before opposition is born. Competition and opposition are cousins. Everybody say opposition. opposition. Competition is good, but it quickly metamorphoses into opposition if it's a matter of seriousness. We can be competitors, but if 
We are competitors too long. My desperation to win, my desperation to get this, my desperation to get into this pool is going to make you my enemy because two of us can't win. You ever watch these shows, these, uh, The Voice, American Idol? I get a kick out of watching those shows, and I'm going to tell you why. Because everybody's encouraging each other. Yet everybody's competing with each other. And if you were there because you wanted the other person to win, you wouldn't be there. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Wait, we got number, you know, number three, I'm going to sing this song. And, and then she sings that song. And I'm, I'm contestant number four. I'm going to sing this song. And you see him backstage. Oh, I hope you make it. No, you don't. I hope you make it. You, you keep trying hard, and, and I hope everything goes well. Just do your best. No, 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 no. That has limited truth to it because you are the competitor. You can't hope I win, and you think you're going to win. So this pool, watch this. This pool was there. And the first thing this lame man says I don't have anybody to put me in the pool when it is stirred. Environments of competition are environments that only help in a limited way. And some of you have dealt with people and had relationships with people that have helped you but so far. That have helped you as long as you're not exceeding them. That'll help you as long as you're not doing better than them. Y'all not, you don't have to say anything. I know it. I see it in your faces. Everybody has been in relationship with somebody that did not want you to outdo them. So the help was limited. The, 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 the encouragement was limited. I can only encourage you this much because as soon as you get past where I am, I am now your opposition. So he laid there. Now, let me just say, before we get to this part uh, of the rest of the text, that this man was waiting with all of these people. And let me just add this point, that uh, we, we shouldn't miss opportunity. You had an opportunity to go to school. They were going to pay for it. They were going to do this, that, and the other. And, and here's some of the reasons why we miss opportunity. Number one, procrastination. I must be hungry. Procrastination. Everybody say procrastination. Some of us have the paralysis of analysis. Where we're so busy chalking it over in our head that we think it's going to stay still until we finish thinking about it. And sometimes we even use God to undersign and to co-sign and underwrite our procrastination. We'll use terms like, I'm praying about it. Y'all not going to help me. I'm going to help myself in a minute. I'm praying about it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray about it, but some of us are using that term praying about it as a tool of procrastination. I'm going to tell you something. If God opens up a window for you and God opens up a door, and he's showing you everything I put in place are, is right for the circumstances. The circumstances are aligned. Nobody could have put this in place but me. No, it wasn't you. It wasn't your prowess. It wasn't who you knew. It wasn't your education. I put this in place. You had been previously praying about an opportunity. God puts it in place. And you stop right at the Red Sea of this opportunity. And you say, before I cross, let me stand here and pray about it. How long do you think the cloud is going to keep back the Egyptians? How long do you think God is going to keep that open? What I've learned about God is when his people forfeit the opportunities he gives them, he gives it to the next person. And it may not be some of his folk. Read the Old Testament. God would use other nations who were hungrier for opportunity to show his people a lesson 
that when I open the door, you don't stand there and keep talking to me. You talk to me all of this time. You've been praying day and night, praying about this and praying about that. And you prayed for this. You were very specific in your prayer. You told me you wanted this and you wanted this like this and it had to be like this because I still want to worship you, God, and I still want to be close to you. God opens it and guess what? We procrastinate. Why? Because beyond accepting opportunity is the fear of the unknown. And some of us would rather be uncomfortably where we were than comfortably in a new place that we're not familiar with. Another thing that stops us from seizing opportunity where you find yourself five years later talking about the same thing is not moving in faith. It's very possible that you can reject an opportunity because of how, what somebody else thinks about it. I wonder if there's anybody in here that ever had somebody in your life that's, that you shared an opportunity with and you looked to get advice for them, from them and their advice told you you couldn't do it. There was this one time where there was these 12 guys that went into the promised land, Canaan, spied it out, came back from the promised land, had the fruit to prove it was a good land, and only two of them said, this is our opportunity, everything is right, God aligned it right. And the, the other 10 said, nah, they're giants over there. Because there is no opportunity that will ever come to you that is absent of challenge. If you're looking for the challenge-less opportunity, you are looking in vain. If you get a new anything, if you achieve a new anything, if you acquire a new anything, it's going to come with its own challenges. You cannot escape challenge. The only way you can escape challenge is by going home to be with Jesus. Even your blessings will come with a challenge. So this man had been looking for help, right? He said, I have no man. But watch this. He says, but when I come and try to get into the pool, another steps over me. I want you to look at that as he's looking at people who are moving toward the stirring of the water. And he'd been there perhaps 38 years, perhaps a portion of that. And he's begging the person who's making his way to the water. Hey, I've been here. I've been here long. Just let me take this one. And he reaches up to grab the person's hand. And the person reaches down. And here he is postured thinking that the person is going to help him. And they just shake his hand and step over him. People cannot help you when they what? when they want what you want just as bad. You, somebody need to write that down. Don't expect people who want what you want just as bad to help you get it unless there are people who have the Spirit of God in them. That's why you got to be careful about sharing your vision and your dream with everybody. You mess around and share it with the wrong person, not, not realizing that that person is around the same pool of trying to achieve and trying to master things and trying to fulfill goals. You share it with the same person and you procrastinate and find out that the idea you shared with the person is now marketed and patented. So here it is. This man missed opportunity after opportunity. He had to suffer seeing other people walk away without leprosy, walk away without being deaf, walk away without being blind, walk away seeing, walk away talking, walk away without the palsy. And when you get to seeing that enough, it does something to your psyche. This man was disabled but he was also disconnected. Rejection and failure for a long enough time will make you disconnect from the hope of anything different. 
you settle. And some of us in here have settled. We stop dreaming. We stop thinking. And the reason why we settled is because we think the only way to get there is to get somebody's help. But Jesus walks to this atmosphere of competition and opposition. And he doesn't offer this man help. Not at all. It looks like he's offering him help. He's not offering him help. He wanted help. He said, I need somebody to put me in the water. That's help. That's his definition of help. Help is for somebody to pick me up because I can't walk. My legs don't work. The water's right there. I'm this close. I can see it. When it bubbles over, I can feel the mist of the water. I need somebody to help me. Jesus says, I'm not going to help you. I'm going to heal you. And there's a difference between help and healing. Because help leaves you thanking the person who decided to lift you up and put you in the water. But healing leaves you more grateful and indebted to God because when God heals you, you don't have to give a list of thank yous to those who help you. Number two, it's not a miracle for somebody to help this man. That's not a miracle. It is not miraculous for somebody to pick him up and throw him in the pool. That is not a miracle at all. You know what that is? That's help. Jesus was not interested in giving a hand. He was interested in performing a miracle so that when you get up, when you walk, when you pick up your bed, it's something that nobody else can testify but you because it did not come through the hands of men. I'm wondering if anybody in here have had a blessing that did not come from the hands of men while you were begging and pleading with people and begging people and pleading with them, I need this and I need that. And church folk get irritated and they start blaming the whole church. And that church is not hospitable. They're not kind. My bills, I have bills and nobody would pay my bills. Maybe it's because God doesn't want somebody to help you. He himself wants to heal you. Financially, this church doesn't need help. This church needs healing. Because help may still leave you with lame thinking. Y'all not going to come with me, but I'm coming to get you. Help will still leave you with lame thinking. That's why some of us who have been helped over the years still think the way we do. Because somebody can help you and help your body, but that doesn't mean your mind is going to get right. And if your mind is not healed, but your body is helped, it won't be long before you find yourself at the same pool with the same affliction. You decide because you got a little hefty. I'm going to go and qualify for surgery that will help me. And I'm not against that. But I want you to show the reality. So the doctor says I can do it. And he manipulates some things so that your insurance would cover it. You're all excited. You go under the knife. They tell you you can only eat so much. Watch this. Do you not know that that temporarily helps? That your mind can override your help. Y'all not going to come with me, but I wonder if there's anybody whose mind overrode their help. I wonder if there's anybody that said, okay, let me borrow this much and I'll be in the clear. And you borrowed that and then you borrowed that from over here and over here. But because your mind was still lame, the help didn't keep. The help didn't fix it because your mind, you don't need help, you need healing. You need something that will help, watch this, that will empower you to not only be out of that situation but to stay out. And there are people in this community and in the world today who think they need help when what they need is healing. 
You don't need help. You don't need somebody to help you and throw you in the pool. You need God to do something so powerful, so miraculous that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it wasn't man. It was God that did it because I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the friends and people stepped over me. But God decided to custom and tailor make a miracle for me. Well, I call this deliverance in spite, in spite of missed opportunities because this man's missed opportunities were his fault. Everybody look in verse 14. Say amen if you've been following. How many of you have missed opportunities and it was your fault? Instead of going to war, you were walking on the rooftop looking at another man's wife. You know, that's David. John chapter 8, there was this woman that was about to be stoned for the adultery. Those weren't false accusers. Well, they were not false accusers. They had a legitimate case. So any opportunity to live a normal life and not be in the hands of these wicked men was lost because of her. I don't want to talk to people who miss opportunities because of circumstance. I want to talk to some real people who miss opportunities because of you. Because you waited too long. Because you listened to the wrong voice. Because you decided to go with somebody else's faithlessness. And I learned that when people are faithless, they'll disappear during the process and show back up when deliverance happens. Everybody doesn't want to spend time in the wilderness. So they'll catch a flight to Canaan and wait on you. Verse 14 says something very unique. Jesus, after healing him in verse 8, he says, Rise, take up your bed and walk. All right? That's empowerment. That's healing. That's not helping. That's healing. He sees this man. And this man is in church. He's, you know, he's, he's hanging around church, right, quite naturally. Uh, he's carrying on the Sabbath. He's coming around the people of God. Pharisees don't like it because everybody doesn't want to see your healing. Everybody don't want to see you seize opportunity. Haters are real. You, you, you have haters. No one's exempt. You can say, I love everybody, and I'm always doing good. You can't pay haters to stop hating on you. They'll talk about you because you paid them. When verse 14, the text says what? Afterward, Jesus Afterward. found him in the temple uh -huh. and said to him. Look what Jesus says to him. Behold, you have become Look, well. Look, you're better. Do not Look, sin anymore. Look, you're better. You're walking. I don't see you in the same restricted, constricting, in prison environment. You out and about. You're, you're well. And then he tells them what? Do not sin anymore. Stop sinning. Less what? So that nothing worse happens to you. Whatever happened to this, whatever. The reason why this man was in this environment that was competitive in the first place was his own fault. See, in order for this to be a redemptive message, I don't want to talk to people that act like it's never their fault. People that act like it's never their fault can't handle deliverance. They're not ready for deliverance because it's not deliverance if you had nothing to do with it. It's not deliverance. Watch this. Deliverance is not appreciated if you don't think you needed it. If it's not your fault. So Jesus deals with this man and find, finds out that the reason why this man was lame for 38 years is it was his fault. And Jesus wants to differentiate between somebody who's suffering for righteousness and somebody who got into those missed opportunities because of their own fault. This is what you have. His lameness was authentic. His cause was illegitimate. 
Write that down because some of you don't get that because that's a shout moment. You just totally missed your shout. It's already out in the parking lot. When you leave here, go catch it. It's standing by your car. His lameness was authentic. He was really lame. It wasn't a fake. He wasn't faking being lame. He wasn't laying by, by the pool acting like something was wrong. It was really wrong with him. His lame condition was real. But the way he got like that was illegitimate. And what people tend to do, what we tend to do, is we make sure we separate our authentic affliction from our illegitimate cause because we think if people find out how it happened, they'd be prone to be less merciful. No, you don't get that? Oh, uh, 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 yeah, I lost my job. You know, things are, you know, things are hard. I lost my job. Pray for me. I lost my job. Things are hard, and, you know, the devil's trying me. We present our authentic problem, but we hide our illegitimate cause. Y'all not with me yet? The problem of losing the job is real. But the cause is illegitimate. The cause is you kept taking two-hour lunch breaks, showing up whenever you wanted to, and the people you did lunch with who said, don't you have to get back to work, you say, oh, it's no problem. I go back late every day. And so what we do in order to garner mercy from people is we only present our authentic affliction. Because if they knew our illegitimate cause, they may not sympathize with our authentic affliction. Y'all not with me? Uh, uh, brothers and sisters, my blood pressure is so up. Uh, I got diabetes. Blood pressure. Ooh. Oh, jeez. The devil is on my track trying hard to turn me back. That's authentic. Your blood pressure is 180 over 120. Your sugar is 300 fasting. The affliction is real. But what we don't tell is the illegitimate cause. We don't speak of the fact that the doctor warned us about this two years ago. Why? Because if we added the illegitimate cause, people humanistically have a tendency not to sympathize with the authenticity of your affliction if they know that the reason why you're like that is your fault. Or they say, I'm so sorry, and then walk away and say, well, he should have, that's his fault. You getting just what you yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we do to protect that is we'll just let everybody know about the sickness. We'll let everybody, everybody know about the loss of job. We'll, we'll let everybody know about uh, kids getting in trouble. It's not always the parents' fault, but if you spent your time away from them and you stand before the church and you say, oh, they're getting in all kinds of trouble, I don't know what to do. But the reason why they're in trouble is I never spent time with them. That gets less, that gets less, that kind of gets less sympathy, doesn't it? You're telling us that you caused your problem. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. This is called deliverance in spite of missed opportunities. Jesus walks on that scene knowing that this man's problem is his fault. He doesn't have to hide it. He doesn't have to speak it. He might have been hiding it. He only tells about being lame for 38 years, and he only talks about the fact that he's laid up here, and nobody helps me, and nobody puts me into the water, and I stay here, and I try to be helped, and I'm so close to the pool, but nobody has sympathy on me because there's a tendency when we're hiding our illegitimate cause to blame other people for their lack of help. 
the church won't help me. I told him my electric bill, my lights are about to get cut off. Yet last month on Facebook, you were turning up at a club and buying everybody else's drinks. <laughs> Illegitimate cause to an authentic problem. God is not like man. God knows it's your fault and says, do you want to be better? He knows you got into that trouble because you made bad decisions. He knows you missed opportunity because of something you did. And God does not do like man and say, you had that one coming. He comes along, Jesus comes along, and he says, don't you want to be made better? And he, watch this, he totally disregards what he knows about this man until, his, until he, he's healed. He sees him later. He sees him healed. He, it's almost like Jesus is saying, by the way, you look good. Don't do what you did to get like this. Next time, it may be something worse. Aren't you glad that God just doesn't deliver those whose problem is somebody else's fault? In spite of missed opportunities, Aren't you glad that you can miss opportunities and God still find a way to bless you? He missed the pool forever. That's gone. He had settled and decided and came the grips in his mind that I will never get to that pool. But God doesn't need to work through the pool. God doesn't need to work through an interview. He doesn't need to work through your girlfriend or your boyfriend. He doesn't have to work through the things you're depending on. He doesn't have to work through the people you're counting on to help you. God has a way of delivering you in spite of missed opportunities. Now watch this. He does not, watch this, he doesn't always present the same opportunities. But he will empower you to seize other opportunities. And that's deliverance in spite of missed opportunity. Who in here can think about an opportunity you missed because you were distracted at the wrong time and you followed your distraction? Who in here can think about opportunities you've missed because you decided other things had more value? You decided not to say I love you that day. You decided that you, you didn't feel a certain way and you were feeling mushy. You decided that uh, I'm not going to meet this person where they are. You decided, okay, uh, I, when he says I love you, I'm mad. I'm mad at my dad. I'm mad at my mom. So I love you. Well, all right, click. Only to find out that that would be the last conversation. What a missed opportunity. Who in here has ever been in a situation where the circumstances were just right, but you had that girlfriend or that homeboy who talked you out and instead of following God's cues for this opportunity, you forfeited that opportunity because somebody wasn't ready to stop having you hang around and spend all day watching reality shows. I need you to know that in spite of the opportunities you missed, Jesus is asking the question, do you want to get well? I'm not going to help you get in this pool. I'm going to give you something better. I'm not going to be the one to help you because your thinking is still the same. You'll get out of this pool and end up doing the same thing you did that brought you to the pool in the first place. So I'm not helping you. Before I heal you, do you even want to be better? Or are you okay missing these opportunities? As a church, do we want to be better? Do we want to keep making 
making it by the skin of our teeth because we miss so many opportunities along the way. Do we want, we want to become that Sunday morning church that's good for nothing but Sunday morning? You know there are Sunday morning churches. They're only good for Sunday mornings. You ask the neighbors who live across the street, do they know those people? And they will say, I see them, but I don't know them. Have you settled in this dark, dreary, sad, depressing place of missed opportunity? And if you have, Jesus is inviting you out of that. He's inviting you to seize healing over help. Okay, bless God. She's sitting back down. Everybody, it's all right. So here's, here's what we're going to do. Today is an opportunity for somebody. Jesus is asking, do you want to get better? You've been coming to church for a long time, but you don't belong to Christ. You know you can come to church and not even belong to Jesus. You can belong to a group but not belong to Jesus. Somebody in here, this is your opportunity to be saved. What does that mean to be saved? It means to have your sins washed away. It means to be filled with his Holy Spirit. It means to be added to his body. This is your day. Jesus says this about these moments. The day you hear my voice, don't close up. I, 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 don't close up. Don't close up. Don't have a conversation about something that ended up being nothing. Don't be distracted. Don't have a conversation about something you can't do anything about. It's covered. Don't miss your opportunity. He's saying, come. Come unto me and I will give you rest. You're doing it on your own. You think because you go to church you belong to me. But no, there will be people in the last day saying, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name? Have I not done many wonderful works in your name? And Jesus will declare to them, depart from me. Why? Because in spite of everything you were doing in my name, I didn't know you. I didn't know you. You settled for hanging around the pool. You hung around the pool. There's a baptistry there. I come to that church. I come to that church, yeah. But you have not given your life to Jesus. Don't waste the opportunity. But even if you do, and though you have been, Jesus is still asking, do you want to be made better? Some of us need to repent. We need to just say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry for letting opportunities. I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. I saw it. We could have, should have, would have, but I was faithless. I didn't believe. I'd rather hang around the pool. You need to repent of that. Everybody stand to your feet. The lesson is almost yours. When I was on dialysis, before you start singing, brethren, I'm going to close with this. If you know anything about dialysis and taking dialysis in a dialysis center, you know that you begin to develop a bond with other people in that dialysis center. You get to know who Mr. Gray is. You get to know uh, who uh, Mr. Wilson is. Or you get to know who this person is and that person is. And you get close to your dialysis nurses. And one of my dialysis nurses is now part of this congregation. Uh, and she, she followed the move. Hey, Christy. She saw me in a bad place. And then she stuck me with a needle. <laughs> but you develop a kinship. And you begin to locate people. They give you what's called a chair. They give you a chair, okay? If you ever lose your kidneys and have to go on dialysis and you have to go, and go into a center, everybody's going to get assigned a chair. And you begin to know people's presence by the space they occupy. So if you go in one day and you're taking treatment and Mr. Gray sits in this chair 
and he's not in that chair, you say, Mr. Gray must have had a bad day. Maybe he's going to take it the next day. If you go two weeks and you don't see Mr. Gray in his chair, that means one of two things. That means Mr. Gray expired and passed on, or it means Mr. Gray seized an opportunity and got a transplant. The pool of Bethesda had people that stayed right where they were. And so people were known by spots, this lame man. But one day, the people who usually gathered by the pool noticed that this lame man's spot was empty. It could have meant he died or it could have meant he took advantage of an opportunity because the pool was not an option. Praise God because of the grace of Christ. It doesn't mean he died. It meant that Jesus healed him and he didn't stay there after he was healed, but he moved on and created an empty space. And I'm come to tell you and ask you today, have you created empty spaces in your places of destitution? Is there an empty space based on where you used to be and how you used to act and who you, who you hung up, hung, got hung up with and hang around? Have you left an empty space? If that space is still occupied by you, you may find that you're living your life missing opportunities and Jesus is still asking, do you want to be better? I have the answer. I can create an empty chair. One day, even for me, I had an assigned chair. And they would know if I'm there, even if I went to the restroom, for whatever reason. Because they see my stuff in the empty chair. But one day, God says, okay, do you want to be better? Stop eating what you ate. Go work out after dialysis. Act like you're not going to be there. Because if you don't act and behave like you're not going to be there, guess what you're going to do? You're going to be there. And one of these old days, one of these days, November 12th, (laughs) five years ago, Davida saw an empty chair. My co-patient saw an empty seat. My question to you is, is the chair of the place of helplessness where you got comfortable, do you still occupy that? You still there? Are you missing opportunities because you'd rather occupy this chair and stay in this community? Some communities that you're in are temporary. Some situations are temporary, and God knows. Some of your friends are just for where you are at the time. Jesus is calling you. If you want to be saved if you want.